This is my first time having matzo ball soup. In your life? In my life. Oh, my God. I was a very sheltered child. Welcome to Judaism. (laughs) (laughs) Shalom. (laughs) We're back with another Soup with the Soups, a series in which we talk to San Francisco supervisors about challenges the city is facing. My introduction to matzo ball soup came from Supervisor Rafael Mandelman. I'm Cynthia Lopez. And I'm Laura Wenis. Mandelman represents District 8, which you could define using parks. It spans from Buena Vista Park down to Glen Canyon, and east to west from Dolores Park to halfway across Twin Peaks. That means it includes the Castro, Noe Valley, and Diamond Heights neighborhoods. Mandelman told us he's not convinced a small city government really needs all the checks and balances that San Francisco has. He also says we're not failing at solving homelessness. We're failing at managing spaces. And he's worried about San Francisco giving the political left a bad rap. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. So you asked for the matzo ball soup from Mm Sons, which is literally down the street from my apartment. Why this soup? Well, I have an attachment to matzo ball soup going back to my grandmother. Her matzo balls were definitely sinkers, and these are a little more floaty. But I do have a uh, sort of an affection for matzo ball soup going back to my childhood. We have a lot of pressing and controversial issues to get to, including homeless shelters and killer robots. But Supervisor Mandelman had something a little more mellow in the works, too. I started with a conversation about his legislation to allow cannabis businesses to serve food. The illegal cannabis industry is doing great, and the legal cannabis industry is having some challenges. Mm. And that's not the way this is supposed to be, right? I think, you know, we're well into the sort of legalization experiment and you know we have dispensaries and there certainly are places for people to buy and even consume legal cannabis in places like san francisco but the price of legal cannabis is just really high and that's a function of you know the high taxation that's associated with it the difficulties of operating you know legal establishments the bad treatment under the federal tax code especially the difficulties around banking so it is for those folks who are trying to do a legal cannabis business, it's challenging. And I really feel that it is important to try to support the growth of a legal cannabis industry and to get rid of the illegal cannabis industry to the best we can. And so I think it makes sense to revisit some of the restrictions that, have been, that were placed in the industry as people were contemplating legalization, maybe with concerns. And so the restriction that says you can't serve food in a cannabis retail establishment doesn't make a ton of sense to me. This is really about the cannabis retailers, the lounges and the dispensaries and what should they be allowed to have some other stuff there that might, you know, make their businesses more successful Mm -hmm. and also more, you know, enjoyable places for customers. When I brought up that this might run into opposition from groups who didn't like the idea of cannabis businesses opening in their neighborhoods to begin with, Mandelman said there really isn't that kind of opposition in his district. So I asked him one of our perennial soup with the soups questions. How do you balance the needs and demands of your district with the needs and demands of the whole city? I'm a representative of my constituents Mm -hmm. and I don't have to agree with them on everything, but I have to agree with them on enough things that I'm comfortable representing them. And then I think... I'm allowed to disagree with them on some things, but I have to be thoughtful about how I do that and do it with full recognition that that's going to piss my people off. And in some sense, I may be being a good statesperson, but I'm not really fulfilling, you know, representation at that moment. I'm deciding like my people are wrong. I have to lead on this. Mm. So happily for me around cannabis, I don't have to be 
You know, I don't have to yeah, make hard. I, I don't have to. One. I don't have to make hard choices. I'll be yelled at. I mean, there are people in my district who think it's stupid, but they're not a majority. Mm-hmm. But I think also, as an elected official, you do sort of you are hearing the voices of your constituents, and so what you're hearing from them makes sense. So, do I think that cannabis makes sense because I think that, or because you know that's my world? In this case, the distinction it's, doesn't really matter. There's not really, yeah. So, what about safe consumption sites? Would you put one of those in your district? I'd have to be really, really sure that it was going to improve conditions on the sidewalk outside of it rather than make them worse. And I have a lot of doubts about the city's capacity to operate facilities, you know, serving folks with a lot of mental illness and addiction and pull it off. I think the difficulty is that there are, you know, some homeless serving and other facilities for people with severe behavioral health issues that have been pulled off, you know, well and have not been a problem. The one that I tried to do, a hummingbird behavioral health navigation center that was in my district until redistricting happened. We did not make good on that. It took us, you know, a year of fighting with the Department of Public Health and the other city agencies to actually get them to take seriously the impacts that that facility was having on the surrounding neighborhood. What were those impacts? Oh, people were camping in, were being drawn to the facility because it was the place to go take a shower and, you know, get some food and do, do your laundry and all these things. But it, that can't be, it can't be that the neighborhood that agrees to take on a facility like that then becomes, you know, buried under the sidewalk impacts of it. Mm. You actually have to, I think, do the reverse, which is where those facilities go are pristine. And, you know, people don't associate a sobering center or a safe consumption site or a homeless shelter with significant deterioration of the surrounding area. You said you had to fight with DPH for that? What, like, what was that fight about? They just oh, didn't... just drawing their attention to it? Like, mm-hmm. making them have meetings with me? Making them deal with it differently? Getting the police department and HSOC to do resolutions there? I mean, nobody wants the street problem to be their problem. No agency wants to deal with it. Yeah. So anywhere you're going to deal with it requires noise and I, it's particularly frustrating to have to make that kind of noise after having advocated for a facility like that that mm. theoretically the city wants. You know, this makes me think of something else that I've been talking to everyone about, the gridlock or the the lack of progress or lack of collaboration that people, I think, perceive on the board. And mm-hmm. most supervisors have told me, actually, we're quite collaborative and a lot of the things that don't end up being big fights are important and they go through just fine. It's like the progressive-moderate divide is not as... You're making a face. What's your reaction to that? I mean, sure. Like most <laughs> contracts go through. Like, be, okay. That's, there, that's there, what I said. <laughs> there is truth in that. <laughs> Much of what government does is not ideological, is not part of a divide. Like we're all. Let's some, expand this grant. We're all some version of left of center. So nobody here is a creationist. Nobody here <laughs> thinks that people should just be abandoned to deal with their own problems. Although you hear that accusation lobbed across from various like commentators all the time. Well, you mm-hmm. just think that people should be on the street. Well, you just think people should be thrown in jail. I mean, But the reality is that that's not the case, right? And yeah. the most conservative of us would like to reduce the footprint of the criminal justice system in communities that have been negatively impacted by the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. I do think the divides are real and they reflect real divisions among San Franciscans around the autonomy of the individual around our willingness to intervene in the lives of people who 
I would say can't take care of themselves and other people are more interested in maintaining their autonomy because they're afraid of what a big state will do to those folks. Those are real divisions. And the different perspectives around that kind of stuff or around the role of police are reflected on the Board of Supervisors. Everyone on the Board of Supervisors would agree we need a a police department that is well-trained, that is reflective of the communities that are experiencing policing, all these things. And then some of us would go another step to like, and we need to try to like shrink that baby down until, you know, it actually can be drowned in the bathtub. Like, um, no, really. Like, I mean, there's a defund, disband, and abolish that is like, that is, that is real. And if we aren't moving towards that, like, you know, we're failing. It is just an incredible phrase. <laughs> drown the baby in the bathtub. <laughs> we shrink this baby down until we can drown, drown it in, in the, the bathtub. bathtub. Yeah. This is also something that I keep bringing up. It's like these divisions are not petty disagreements. These are not just like personal little snipes they're or whatever. Real. And it's, they're not yeah. just San Francisco. I think they are definitional for what the left is going to be in the United States. We're not having a left-right fight on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. We are having a fight about what progressive is going to be in San Francisco and in the United States, Yeah, I think. Yep. Well, with that said, is there a way to improve kind of collaboration or compromise or cohesiveness on these divisive issues. There also needs to be some kind of common ground in order for things to actually get done, no? Maybe. I mean, I believe in dissent and disagreement. Like, we don't all have to agree. I mean, there's sometimes a political advantage in heightening differences. One example of that, he says, was the killer robot decision. This was when the Board of Supervisors approved and then rejected a police proposal to allow the use of a remote-controlled robot with the ability to carry explosives. The idea was they could be used in extreme cases where a suspect in a mass shooting or similar event might be barricaded. Mandelman characterizes that discussion as much more dramatic than it needed to be. I mean, there's sometimes a political advantage in heightening differences. And I would put the RoboCops conversation in, you know, in that is like, this was not a real issue. In my view, like there was not a real underlying reasonable disagreement there. It was an opportunity to have a fight about larger issues, about what do we think about police? Do we trust police? Do we not trust police? What are the circumstances which we should or should not allow the potential like strapping on of an explosive device onto that little like Mars rover that gets sent over to the sniper? But that's never going to happen. So, I mean, the board, so there was never some. Never say never. I'm well, it, it, happened, it, happened, it, it happened in Dallas. Yes. I think it was Dallas where they did actually use it to take out a sniper. And, and we in San Francisco yeah. had an active shooter on the St. Luke's construction site once. Oh, there will certainly be active shooters in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. How essential will it be for, I mean, I was a supporter of the RoboCops, right? So I've, I felt that we should be able to strap the little device in this remote, unlikely circumstance but we had a huge nationwide observed argument about what was really a very small and potentially unlikely circumstance. So the Board of Supervisors has said, no, we had a huge fight about it. Like, was that and now what? Was that constructive? I <laughs> yeah. mean, now we hope that there's not a sniper that can only be taken out by a little Thing, who's he? What's it with a with robot an exp- with a bomb. Yeah, but it's not a robot with a bomb. It's like a little. It's a <laughs> little. Kill a robot. No, it's, it's a little. It's a little thing. It's a little. It's not a Robocop. <laughs> we got ourselves all worked up about Robocops. It became like a stand-in for some debate. If that's what we were talking about, like some like movie version, that's not even what was in the legislation. Supervisor, so let's, let's, let's move on. Let's move on to no, I'm robot. imagining like one of those Uber Eats. <laughs> 
robot turning on you. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want my food? (laughs) (laughs) Pulls out a gun, starts (laughs) no tip. (laughs) Take the food. Where's my tip? Mm-hmm. Oh man, we just didn't give them ideas. I mean, I would also put this whole little um, spat we had recently about the resignation letters. We'll get into that controversy right after a break. Before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. We'd like you to have a voice on this podcast too. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send a voice memo or write an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. Cynthia and I have been talking with District 8 Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. Before the break, he brought up resignation letters. Last year, a police commissioner who served on that oversight body because the mayor had appointed him voted in a way that didn't align with her views. She publicly accused him of dishonesty. In the ensuing spat, it came to light that she had previously asked him to submit a signed, undated resignation letter in advance. It turned out that the mayor had a practice of requesting these resignation letters from her appointees. The mayor had been, you know, asking trying, people to sign. asking people to sign these resignation letters Without before she put them on commissions, mm-hmm. you know, which whether a good idea or a bad idea was an ineffective idea. And the city attorney has said, you know, no, Madam Mayor, these are not, you know, these are not letters that you can enforce. Mm. So one of my colleagues who does not have a good relationship with the mayor introduced legislation to make it, you know, to officially say San Francisco is not going to allow these resignation letters at the point when it was, there is no point to that policy other than to remind everyone that, that she did this and like really people. So I don't think that's constructive, but you know, again, that's, I don't know. Do you think it's an impediment to getting stuff done that some supervisors don't have a good relationship with the mayor? And we're talking about people who are having a hard time getting a hold of her. I think our government would work better if the relationships were stronger. In some ways, we're kind of set up to fail. The structure is very challenging, and we might be able to deal with some of the structural challenges if we were really a cohesive body and we worked well with her. But in the absence of that, like the structural stuff is crazy. 11 supervisors, no other county in California, no other, I mean, very, no other county has. Less than a million people. Yeah, I mean, 11 is a ridiculous number. It's not an assembly. It's not like. What's the correct number for you? I think what, I mean, most California counties have five or seven, and that's a number of people who can like come together and four of you agree on something, and or if it's five, three of you agree on something, like you can work stuff out. You can run the run the jurisdiction. 11, it's an unwieldy number if you're actually trying to exercise real authority over the place, which our board of supervisors doesn't, you know, because unlike every other county in California, we don't pick the executive. So there's an executive going off in that direction. The Board of Supervisors is heading in a different direction. And, you know, insofar as that happens, like, I'm not sure how we make progress on things. And then you layer onto that this sort of commission structure that we have, which is partly the result of the tensions between the mayor and the Board of Supervisors and everybody's need to check everybody else's ability to get anything done. And, in fact, it is hard to get anything done. I mean, checks and balances are good, but it sounds like what you're describing is more of a proxy system. Do we need checks and balances in a local government? Is this, are we afraid of the king? Like, that is what, you know, the Federalist Papers and our, our national government is built up to stop a tyrant. And actually, we stress tested it with Trump and we barely came through. But like, thank God we had all of that stuff built in and the 
between the Constitution and the deep state and all the stuff, like, you know, saved us. But I don't think we need that at the local level. And at the local level, it just keeps us from, you know, solving our problems. So more room for the executive to do things without a obstruction or more or more more room for the legislative to actually run the city Mm. pick pick a lane people (laughs) (laughs) there is one thing the supervisors have been able to work together on expanding shelters to get homeless people off the streets last year after a few attempts he got all the other supervisors on board with a directive to the department of homelessness and supportive housing they asked the department to drop a report showing what it would take to offer shelter or housing to every single person on the streets over the course of about three years. The department did that and said it would cost nearly a billion and a half dollars. Mandelman says that's too much. It's too expensive in that it is impossible to imagine how, as a city, we would find ourselves with an, uh, another $1.5 billion to spend over a three-year period on this problem on top of all the money we already spend and with the ability to continue bringing in money like that, growing it, because one of the suggestions in that report is that even if you solve this temporary problem you have and the problem that's going to grow over the next few years, you get that problem solved in year three and then it's growing again. Yeah. Well, because we're not stopping the flow of homelessness. Because we're not stopping the flow of homelessness. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's another point which I try to make, which is that we aren't actually failing at solving homelessness. We solve homelessness for people every day in San Francisco. We do move people off the streets. We do move people into permanent supportive housing. We've created more permanent supportive housing on a per capita basis, I think, than any other American city. Which is also why this this idea of like dividing the HSH budget by the number of people on the street just falls flat because so much of the money Ah. that the city spends on homelessness is keeping people Absolutely. So what are we failing at? We are failing at managing our public spaces in a way that allows residents, tourists, and businesses to feel good about them and feel comfortable in San Francisco. We are failing at allowing families in the Tenderloin to be able to get around the neighborhood without you know, being kind of overwhelmed by the sort of attacks on the senses that they're experiencing. And the same for the mission, actually. We have a neighborhood that I represent, the Castro, which is, you know, in my view, drowning under the weight of people with severe mental illness and significant addictions claiming the public spaces in that neighborhood as their own and feeling like that's the place that they can be. And by the way, creating all sorts of burdens for the small businesses that are trying to operate there. I think we have to set realistic goals for what a city can do. And we have to get a handle on our public spaces. And I, and we need for our city departments to be focused on that in addition to solving homelessness for as many people as we reasonably can. So I don't fault HSH for trying to solve homelessness for individuals. We have to manage our public spaces way more effectively. And there is a role for HSH in that. We have to have shelter to offer people, and we have to try to end the encampments that we have. I do think that the encampments are part of the problem. One of the takeaways from the uh, the Place for All report that HSH came up with is that they don't really view their job as dealing with the unsheltered homelessness crisis in San Francisco. They really are primarily trying to solve homelessness for as many people as they possibly can, that is get them into a permanent home. They really believe that permanent housing is a solution for all the homeless people in San Francisco, all the homeless people who end up in San Francisco. And that's how they're gonna try to solve the problem. Like, I don't think it's gonna work without like ever growing budgets at a scale that we can't even like remotely contemplate. So now what? So now what I think is trying to build some kind of consensus around, around the idea that unsheltered homelessness is actually top of their list 
And they do need to be coming up with a plan to have shelter for everyone at a scale that we could do much more encampment resolution and be compliant with the Constitution and our moral obligations to be actually offering shelter to people. We're coming up on the end of our time, so I will do my lightning round questions. Oh, Those no. Last three. <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Oh, my God. There's so much. This is both motivating and stressful. I think that San Francisco is stands for more. It's not just another city. And this, you know, we do evoke something for people, I think, mm-hmm. around the country and around the world. We are liberal. We are left. We are progressive. We are a place where if you're queer, like that's like you you have a special connection to San Francisco. We're a Pacific, you know, city. Like there's a lot going on. And people, I think a lot of people have a lot of attachment to San Francisco, even if they don't live here. People who may have lived here at one point, people who for whom it is an idea. And what one of the things that stresses me out is that when we can't figure out how to make things work here. It has an impact, I think, on the whole project of like progressiveness. And I think it is a real problem for, you know, national Democrats for, I think there's all these people who, you know, want San Francisco to work. And also it's a real benefit to the people who do not share our values when it looks like San Francisco is a basket case. And so I think it's important for San Francisco to be less of a basket case. Is there an idea from somebody, idea or policy or whatever proposal, from somebody you generally politically disagree with or clash with that you think was actually great? Well, I generally think that Republicans and their approach to the judiciary are wrong. It's always guided my sort of thinking about presidential elections and, you know, it's important for me to have a progressive a liberal judiciary or judges who are appointed by Democrats. The judge who issued the injunction around this, <laughs> around San Francisco's encampment resolution, has made me hope that that case will be appealed to a Trump judge as soon as possible. Like, <laughs> that would be an area where, like, I just can't believe how wrong that, you know, in my view, that decision was to prevent San Francisco from enforcing any of its anti-camping laws and just, you know, that it can't be right. All right. (laughs) Was not expecting that one. So great. If you were exalted super mayor with magic powers, king, king of San Francisco for a day, queen of San Francisco, queen of San Francisco for a day, what would you wave your magic wand and make happen? Well, I'd make us pick a lane in terms of the structure of our government. That's the thing I might wave my, my magic wand and make happen. I also, I mean, the thing we didn't talk about is so we talked a little bit about the beds problem. There are a ton of people with severe mental illness for whom shelter is not the answer. They need beds and a lot of care. They need board and cares. They may need a locked facility. All of that is super expensive and probably more than San Francisco can hope to do. If I were, you know, queen for a day. I would find a way, I'd really, I would have to be queen of California and I would make California take responsibility for actually having appropriate placements for people with severe mental illness, which California does not do. It is really bad. Thank you for your time. Thank you for eating soup with us. Thank you for the carbs, the fat. Mm. That was District 8 Supervisor Raphael Mandelman. 
Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. To get in touch, send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. And I'm Cynthia Lopez. Coming up on SF Next, Fixing Our City, if you meet someone who's living on the street in the Castro, there's a good chance Erica McGarry knows them by name. We'll hear about her approach and what it takes to actually get people help. See you next week. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext.